Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we begin our new Wednesday evening series entitled God Can Use Anyone. In this series, we will learn that it doesn't matter your circumstances, you can still be used by God. And now, lead Pastor Rex Johnson. He doesn't seem like much. Not too many Christians know who he was or what he did. But he was important to God. His name is in the book, folks. And God thinks it's important enough that you know who this hero of the Old Testament was and what he did. His name was Othniel, meaning the Lion of God. Everybody say the Lion of God. Or simply God is might. And he saved Israel from their sins. Here's a little background. Years before Othniel was even born, his uncle Caleb, you know that name, Caleb, because he was with Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, did something that impressed God. Caleb was just a young man when Israel was held in slavery in the land of Egypt. He was there, Caleb was there when Moses came and challenged Pharaoh and told Pharaoh to let God's people go. Caleb was there when God brought down the ten plagues upon Egypt to force Pharaoh to ask the people of God to leave. Caleb was there when God parted the Red Sea and allowed Israel to cross on dry ground and caused it those same waters to collapse upon the chariots and the armies of Pharaoh destroying the might of Egypt. Caleb was there when the people of Israel surrounded Mount the Mount of God, Mount Sinai, and he would have seen God come down upon that mountain with thunder and with lightning and with the terrifying voice of the sound of a trumpet. And he was there just a few days later when God brought Israel to the very border of the land he had promised to give to his people. And it was there that Moses selected 12 men to go in and spy out the land and the lay of the land to help him decide, listen to me, not if they could or couldn't conquer the land, but the best strategy, the best strategy for taking Canaan. Two of those spies were Joshua and Caleb, which was Othniel's uncle. Those two great men were overshadowed and overwhelmed by what they saw. The land literally flowed with milk and honey. You remember? They saw great cities, They wouldn't have to build. They saw orchards. They wouldn't have to plant. They saw wells. They didn't have to dig. And God said it was all theirs. And they remembered how God brought the plagues on Egypt. And they remembered how he parted the Red Sea. And they remembered how he showed his fearsome power at Mount Sinai. And they remembered and were convinced if God was giving them this land, nothing could stop them. Can I stop and ask you, has God ever done something in your past so positive that you know whatever obstacle you meet in your present, it's not going to stop you from your future? Has anybody ever, come on, anybody ever had one of those moments, one of those careless moments where you just look back and say, wow, if he can do that, he can do this, and I'm going on. But the other ten spies, I hear somebody in the balcony, thank you for helping me, that's a good amen. But the other ten spies didn't see it that way. They were led by a man named Shua. 
And they saw exactly the same things the other two did. They saw the beauty, the splendor, the wonder of the promised land. But these wonders were overshadowed by something else that they saw. They saw giants. They saw huge men in the land. And in those giants, they saw defeat, they saw disaster, and they saw death. They were afraid. And their fear spread through the entire camp, and the people became so frightened that they refused to obey God into the promised land. So God said, fine, you don't want to go in? You don't have to. You will never enter the land I promised you. You will die here in the desert. And they did. So everyone that had come out of Egypt, that two, two and a half million people, all died in the desert except two men. Say two men. Two men didn't die in the desert. Two men were allowed to enter the promised land. Two men who believed God's promise about the promised land. Those two men were named Joshua and Caleb. Wow. Forty years later, Caleb enters the promised land at the age of 85. That's how old my dad was when he passed. And he still was convinced that if God promised something, God would provide it. I wrote in my notes, preach here. Boy, I could, I could turn loose right there. I don't care how old the promise seems to be to you. I'm not going to get off on it. I'm just going to say it. There is no time lapse on God's promises. His promises are yea and amen. There are no nays in God's promises. If there are 700 promises in the Bible, there are 700 yeas in the Bible. And I don't care if that promise came when you was 15 years old. You hold on to it. You believe God for it. Because if God said it, that settles it. I believe it. It's going to happen. Somebody said, well, I'm going through a rough patch right now. Sure, you're going through a rough patch. You know why? Because the enemy knows when you get a grip on the promise that God has promised you that he can't handle you any longer. Amen. Amen. If God has promised you healing, believe it. If God has promised you your children, accept it. If God has promised you financial blessing, believe it. If God has promised you your husband's salvation, receive it. If God has promised you healing in your own body, receive it. If he has promised you things that you said it can never happen, don't you ever say it can't happen when God's got his name attached to it. When God says it, it's settled. And I believe it. Tap your hands real big and say, I believe that right now. So Caleb said to Joshua, because Joshua was handing out the land, he said, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, the giants were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Just as he said, here's an 85-year-old man saying, I want, that, I want that hill right there. I want it. I want that mountain. And I know that there's giants from Anak up there. I know they're up there and they're camped up there, but hey, I'm 85. I can take them. I wish some of us 45-year-olds could have the faith of an 85-year-old. I wish some of us 20-somethings could have the faith of an 85-year-old. Come on. You've you got to understand, folks, that sermons like this help me. It helps me. So God promised, Caleb believed, and God delivered. At 85 years old, he cleaned out the giants in that land, and Othniel was his nephew. 
Now, what's so special about Othniel? Let's read it again. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them to the hands of Cushan, Rishathim, king of Aram, Nahiram, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. All through the book of Judges, folks, it's the same story. It's like Israel never learned. The people sin. Point two, God punishes them by selling them to the hands of their enemies. Point three, they repent and plead for God to forgive them. Point four, God raises up a judge or deliverer to save them. And point five, Israel is at peace as long as that judge lives. That's how it worked. When that judge died, they did the same thing. They sinned again. What's interesting here is that Othniel is the first of the judges. Oh, I want to preach this. And God chose him to deliver Israel from the results of their sin. But why choose him? Why choose Othniel? What was so special about him? Was there a few reasons I want you to think about today? I'm going to give you three simple ones. Are you ready? Number one, Othniel was a man who was infected. He was infected with a word called faith. He was caught up in faith from somebody else. Have you ever been around people that when you walk into their presence and you walk out, you feel like, whoo, what can I do for God? Lord, I think I'm going to try flying today. Wow. There are friends that I have made in my ministry that I want to talk to every day on the phone. I used to have a dear friend in De Quincey, Louisiana named David Hennigan. And he would call me and he always, don't you call me, he would call me Rexy Bodidley. <laughs> and when I would hear that, you know what he would follow with that? He said, God's got something planned big for you today. And I would say, I received that. And he said, no, you don't understand. I said, God's got something, capital B, capital I, capital G for you today. And I said, I'll receive that. He said, no, you're not getting it yet. It's big, underlined, three times. He wanted me to get up and start hollering. Yes, I got it, I got it, I got it. I miss him. He's going on to his reward. But I promise you, whoever he's with in heaven right now, he's telling them God's got something big for you. Isn't it neat to be around people? Isn't it great to be around people that when you walk away from them, you feel like you can whip a bear with a switch? That you can take on anything in this world? Isn't it much more fun to be around people like that than people that drag you down? And make you feel like you can't do anything? That they put you down, they criticize everything, they put you down, they say, you know, I don't know why you're trying to do that. I had a man walk up to me one time, he wanted to be a preacher, and he walked up to me and he said, if I ever preach, I don't ever want to preach like you. I said, why? He said, because if you wasn't anointed, you'd, be, you'd fall flat on your face. I said, thank you. <laughs> By the way, he's tried to preach. He's failed four, three or four times, and three or four churches have said, we don't want you anymore, and he's tried to find another, and they threw him out also. I've been here 25 years, and I think you folks still like me. When you get around those kind of people, it makes you want to do this. Just bite your hand off. You say, my God, why do I get up beside these kind of people? And if you're one of those kind of people, you probably don't know it. 
But if you see somebody looking away trying to find another conversation while you're talking, you might catch a hand, all right? Don't you love to be around people that say God's great, God's good? He's an awesome God. Hey, I'm not trying to get you emotional. I'm trying to tell you he is a great God. In him is no shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift cometh from the Father of light. It's an awesome thing. Don't misunderstand me now. Caleb was a man of faith, but Caleb's faith wasn't in himself. It wasn't about self-faith. It was about faith in God, not his ability, not his cleverness. It was in God because he knew God was going to be there for him. He'd been there for him. There was no challenge he wouldn't take on as long as God was by his side. David wrote this in Psalms chapter 18. He said, the Lord is my rock. You believe that? He said, he's my fortress. He's my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's the kind of man or woman that God's looking for. He's looking for a David. He's looking for a Caleb. He's looking for an Othniel that gets infected with faith. That's why we have Wednesday night Bible studies. That's why the pastor preaches and teaches the way he does. There's not going to be any negative stuff in this series I'm teaching about God can use anyone. God can use anybody. And I believe that he was a man of faith because he hung around his uncle. In the first chapter of Judges, we find Caleb is asking for somebody to step out and take out an important city for him. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aska in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kareath Sefer. And the Bible said in Judges 1, Othnel, the son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother, took it. You know what? Here's what's funny. Othnel never says anything in the Bible. He never says anything in the book of Judges. He's not a man of many words. He's a man of a whole lot of action. And as soon as Caleb said, whoever takes down that city gets my daughter, he went up and took that city. He took the challenge. Caleb does stuff like that. He takes mountains. Caleb trusts God. He does mighty deeds. And if Caleb can do it, Othniel says, I can do it. Paul wrote, Paul wrote, I can do all things. Let's talk about Christianity. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have the same promise as Christians that Caleb and Othniel had in their day. The same God who backed them up is there to back us up as well. Everybody say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I'm convinced that Othniel became a man of faith because he hung around with a man of faith. Here's what you need to do. You need to choose your company wisely. You don't need to be around somebody that the lights go out and you say, oh God, it's darkness here. You need to be around somebody where the lights go on. People that speak up, people that speak promises, people that speak faith. I'm talking to you now. You need to be around those kind of people. Church is a place where we hang out with other men and women of faith. That's why we come to church. Hebrews 12, 24 and 25 says, Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's what we've got to do. We've got to meet in Bible studies. We've got to meet in church. We've got to come together. There are people who will tell you they can be just as good a Christian without going to church. That's not true. Never, never, never true. They may can be Christians without going to church, but they cannot be just as good of Christians that way. Because you need to come and let your iron sharpen somebody else's iron. 
Let me just ask you something. How many of you leave here on Wednesday night feeling a lot better about the week than you do when you come in here? Come on. You know why? Because the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it'll, it'll, it's powerful. It'll sharpen your senses. It'll sharpen your, your blessings with God. It'll sharpen you. It'll make you something that you never dreamed possible because God's Word is good. It's a place we rub off on each other. It's a place we strengthen one. It's a place we challenge each other to great deeds. And so meeting in church is an awesome place. You can have all the attendance pins you want. It's not just showing up. Not just being here. But we're to be in church to leapfrog on each other's faith and to say, you know what? If God can do that for them, God can do that for me. If God can touch their family, he's no respecter of person. He can touch my family. But don't get down in pity. Put your hands up in praise because he lives on the praises of his people and he loves to hear the praises of his people honoring him. Say amen to that. I remember when I was a kid in West Texas, went to a little old church, had about 30 people in it. So one day, I, I, I thought one of the funnest things, the most neatest things ever happened in that church. That's not even right, most neatest. That's not even right. One of the greatest things ever happened in that church was two men in that church who were both active with uh, politics in the city, and they came to that church, and they were pretty active. And they challenged one another to who could bring the most visitors in a month to that church. And I was a kid. I always sit on the front row. I don't know why your kids sit on the back row. I always sit on the front row. Because Daddy came back one day and got me by the ear and said, Son, you're sitting on the front row. You're not on the back row. Because I was back there talking. So Daddy fixed me. I don't know if Daddy called me to preach that day. He got me by the ear. But I promise you, he put me on the front row. But I, I, I got so excited. I, I got looking. One guy said, I can bring 10 in a month. Of course, we had 30 in church, you know. Other said, I'll up you. I can bring 11. Well, I can bring 12. And I want to say, I can't ever be an auctioneer, but I'd love to. And that whole month was so exciting to me. You know why? Because those men built my faith as a little boy. And I said, wow, we're going to have a contest. We may have 40 next Sunday. And I think the winner brought six. But it's all right. It's okay. I'm preaching right now. I'm a lot older than... Eight or ten years old right now, and I still remember it. Because there's something about faith. When faith gets active, it can infect you. I'm telling you, folks, get ready. You just might as well get yourself ready. Our chairs are in. We're fixing to enlarge this auditorium again. We're going to have more people than you can ever imagine. So just might as well get ready. Start scooting over. God's into something big around here. Get your faith infected. Come on. Get infected with faith. Get infected with faith. God's doing a big thing at CLC, and we're going to be the recipients of it. Clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. The second thing I want to tell you about, and I've got to hurry, is that Othniel was chosen because he had been prepared beforehand. Othniel just didn't sit around staring at the sky all day. He already had an active faith when God chose him. He already had gotten used to acting on the faith when he took the city for Caleb. When God wanted a man, Othniel was ready. Let me ask you, are you ready if God gets ready for you? Sometime back I had a unique thought. Every now and then I get those. <laughs> I got to thinking about some of the great heroes in Scripture, men like Abraham and Joseph and David, etc. 
Then it occurred to me that many of those Bible heroes were only known for one thing that they did. One thing. Okay, here's an example. Noah built an ark. He floated on the water for a while. Big deal. But it was a big deal. That's what he's known for. Gideon was known for defeating the Midianites with 300 men. Esther was a beautiful queen who was known only for one thing, putting her life on the line to save her people in Shushan. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what are they known for? They spent time in a fiery furnace. But that's all they did of any importance in Scripture, and it was a big deal. Then there's Andrew, one of the twelve, who introduced his brother to Jesus. And, of course, Ananias, who, who baptized Saul, and he turned into Paul. Nothing else was said about him in Scripture. He was not mentioned before after the church changing conversion of the Apostle Paul. Never mentioned again. Could go on and on. Many were one-hit wonders, and I'm not calling them one-hit wonders for that reason, but they were only known for one thing. But that one thing was something that shaped the course of biblical history. But something else I noticed about them, God didn't just pluck them out of thin air. They had been training for years to be the kind of people that they had become so when God needed them at that moment, they were ready. You know, it's one thing for the, for the man with the gun at the starting line to say, ready, set, and you're back there lollygagging around. When he says ready, set, somebody that's ready to be moved of God needs to be on that starting line. So when the gun goes off, you got a shot at winning the race. Come on now. It's time that we understand God's preparing us by building our faith. He's getting us ready. He wants us to know that there's something great in your world coming down. And he's going to use you for the glory of Almighty God. He's going to use you. Wow, I feel this. I feel this. Professor of Sociology, University of Connecticut, wrote a book called Rescuers, Portraits of Holocaust Survivors. He interviewed people who had harbored fugitive Jews in their homes despite the danger that brought to their families. And what he found was that many of these rescuers had a history of doing good deeds before the war. Some visited the people in hospitals and others collected books for the poor students and still others took care of stray animals. They just got into a habit of doing good. If they hadn't perceived that pattern as natural, they might have been paralyzed into inaction when the Nazi government was taking a hold. It did not come unnaturally. It came naturally. That's what God's looking for. It's people who have gotten into the habit of being faithful. God's not the kind of God you show up once every two months and say, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, I'm in trouble. But when you show up, when you show up every day, when you stand up out of your bed every morning and you say, this mind is yours, these hands are yours, this heart is yours, these feet are yours, everything I am is yours. And I know I quoted a lot, but this is a day the Lord has made and I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Let me do something that will affect somebody's today. Let me do something that will affect somebody's tomorrow. And let me do something today that will live in legacy after I'm gone. You're preparing yourself because God needs people ready. He's not going to land and hand people power and victory in the lap of laziness. 2 Chronicles 16 and 9 said, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
You believe that? God's looking for people with faith and faithfulness so that he can strengthen and use them for great things. That's why God chose Othniel. He was ready. And the third thing, and I close lastly. Hope I hadn't been too boring tonight. Othniel was chosen to do what he did because God had set him up. God knows how to set you up. I know it's an odd thought, but I really think God sets us up every now and then. He puts us in the right place at the right time to do the right thing because he wants to prove something to us that he's already known about us. Consider these facts about Othniel. He was of the tribe of Judah. Say Judah. His name means Lion of God. He's chosen to be a rescuer of Israel. And he rescues God's people from their sins. Does that sound like anybody else that we know? Jesus was born out of the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5 and 5 said he's the lamb of the, uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was sent to rescue us and to save us from our sins. Maybe the Lord allowed Othniel because he was ready to be a representative in the Old Testament of what Christ was going to be in the New Testament to us. Maybe, just maybe. But I think God even threw in a little extra nugget here for us. The bad guy in this story is named Cushan Reshatham. Now, aside from the fact that's an extremely hard name to pronounce, especially that last one, Reshatham, it means doubly wicked blackness. Does that sound like anybody you know? Satan. That's right. The line of God came to defeat the one who is doubly wicked in blackness so that we might be freed from the curse of our sin. I think sometimes God just sets us up. I think God is saying, look, I use this man so a preacher in 2015, a pastor, on a Wednesday night was looking at some people and said, it doesn't matter what your background is. don't matter where you came from. Don't matter what tribe you're out of, I'm here to tell you I can use you. I can get you ready for something. And if you don't watch it, I'm going to set you up. And you're going to be used in a method and a manner that you think, oh, my God, how did this happen? Somebody get excited with me. God is in to setting us up. He'll set you up. Hebrews chapter 2 said, Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now that, I put it in my notes, and I know I'm too old to say this, but that's cool. And it's all tied to Othniel, a simple man who was willing to trust God, serve, serve God, pardon me, and be used by God. And my point is this, God is looking for people who are willing to trust him, serve him, so that he can set them up to do some things that are very powerful in the kingdom of God. And you don't have to be particularly smart to have God use you. You have to have a heart that is fervent after God. 
Years ago, a young man that I know went to secular college. And he just went there to be in the music program. His dad was willing to pay the tuition, so he went. He decided to take classes that might help his ministry if he decided to follow God and that route. So he took things like sociology, psychology, and even philosophy. One of the classes offered was religions of the West. You're going to love this story. The description of the class said it would cover Judaism, Christianity, and Islam and tell him about their background and cultures. So the young future pastor thought this should be no, a no-brainer given his plans to attend Bible college in a couple of years. But the teacher had no intention of really telling about the nature of Western religions. His objective was to attack and undermine the faith of his students. That's what it was about. The first class was dedicated to attacking the Old Testament. He said that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Old Testament. Understand, it's difficult to correct a professor in college when one's total religious education consisted of listening to sermons on Sunday and going to Sunday school. So the young man didn't have much to say, but he raised his hand anyway. And he said, that's not what I've always heard, sir. He was pretty sure he impressed that professor that day. But the prof smiled back and said, that may be so, but the majority of scholars agree with me and not you. Then he proceeded to attack more books of the Bible. And again, the young pastor-to-be raised his hand and offered a lame challenge. And again, the professor declared that the majority of scholars agreed with him. Years later, as a pastor, he realized how he must have looked to the other students that day. They hadn't come to that class paid to hear him talk. They paid to be taught by this professor. And the young man was doing a little more than embarrassing himself, and he realized that years later. They just didn't want the Bible to be treated like that. So to better prepare himself, he went to a campus ministry and asked if they had any resources he could read that would help him do a better job of defending the Bible. And sure enough, when the professor got started on Christianity in the New Testament, the first words were that Matthew didn't write Matthew and Mark didn't write Mark and Luke didn't write Luke and John didn't write John. But this young theologian was ready then. He raised his hand and said, according to this scholar and that scholar, he was wrong because of this and that or the other thing. And he felt good about himself. And the teacher paused a moment, knowing he had never been challenged like this before. Then he said, well, the majority of scholars agree with me. And the class was off and running. He had attacked scripture and the young student would cite his scholars and the professor would respond to the majority of scholars agreed with him. And the young man didn't hold a chance against the prof. Then came the test. The young man answered all the questions, but then he wrote on the bottom of the test, I need to apologize, sir. This is your class, and I've been giving you a hard time. But you've been attacking something that's very important to me. However, you're going to be teaching on Islam next, and I don't care about what you say about that. I promise I won't bother you anymore. And the young theologian was done, but God wasn't. The professor no sooner got started in teaching about Islam that he began to talk about black Muslims. Black Muslims got him into racial prejudice and racial prejudice got him into World War II. And he said that one reason, the reason we dropped the bomb on the Japanese and not the Germans was because the Germans were white and the Japanese weren't. Now we're talking history now, not Bible. And the young man sighed 
Mm. And the professor said, all right, what's wrong now? But there was no getting out of it. The young man responded, according to everything I've heard, sir, we didn't have the bomb when the Germans surrendered. We did too, the professor came back. We had it in 1942. But by that time, Vietnam was over. Nixon was president. The government lied about all kinds of things and maybe thought the young man, maybe they lied about this too. And once again, he was beaten down by a man who knew more about life than he did. And that's when God played his card. Next row over, four seats back, a young girl raised her hand. I'm sorry, sir. She said, you're wrong, professor. My father worked on the project and we didn't have the bomb until after Germany surrendered. Now notice what God did. He set that young man up. He allowed him to make an absolute fool out of himself defending the word. All for the purpose of allowing that girl to expose the professor's false thinking. And in one fell swoop, she discredited everything that professor had said and made everything the young man had stood for have weight. Here's the point. You don't have to be that impressive. You don't have to be that smart. But God can use you anyway. That's powerful to me. Woo! Hallelujah! And that's the story of Othniel. That's the story. A man whom God made something out of. A man whom God chose to be his man at the right place, the right time for the right reason. He's looking for somebody he can use. Can he use you? First of all, you must belong to him. You must trust him. Then you've got to let him know, God, it don't matter how you set me up. I'm going to trust you to the very end. I love that story. I love the end of that story. Because there was somebody finally raised her hand that knew more than the professor. And now it made everything about the Bible that he had taught seem nothing. Here's what I'm telling you. There's a lot of people out there that are infected with doubt. There's a lot of people out there that are infected with doubt. And they're not getting themselves ready for God to bless them. But I'm telling you, if you are infected with faith and you're doing things in a small way to get God ready to bless you, like getting up and going to work, you might get a promotion. Like getting up doing the right thing, God might have something greater for you than you could ever imagine. But then get ready because God takes people of faith and people that continue to do the things that people don't even recognize as being things that are important. God will set you up in a way that you'll say, wow, God, how did this happen? I got a picture on my desk. I, I, I shouldn't tell this because it's carnal. I've got a picture on my desk of Coach Landry and Coach Bum Phillips. It was given to me through Brad on Sunday by a wonderful man in this church because he knew of my closeness to both those precious coaches and I loved them very much, both of them very much. Played so much golf with Coach Landry and Coach Bum Phillips didn't play golf, but boy, we could talk. Used to go see him in Goliad. And I know it sounds real remote to what I'm preaching tonight, but when I was 10 years old, I saw the Cowboys' first football game. And I saw a man in this funny hat. And I told my daddy, I said, Daddy, I like that guy. 
I'm, I'm a little old boy. All through my teenage years, he used to ruin my Sundays when the Cowboys got beat. And when I was a young pastor in Dallas, the Cowboys went to a couple of Super Bowls and got beat by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I still don't like the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> but I'll never forget, I'll never forget, I'll never forget it. When I was about 25, 26 years old, I told some guys in the church, I said, guys, there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day. God's going to put me in contact with some people like that. It's going to happen. Because I can talk to a stop sign if it won't go away. <laughs> and I come, to, I come to Austin. And in 1995, I'm introduced to the legend. I'm introduced to the man, Tom Landry. And God kind of nudged me when I got in the golf cart with him for the first time. He said, how's this for a promise? I know, I know, hey, 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 hey. I know that's carnal. That's a carnal thought. But we got on the third hole and he laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I wept and cried. Then he said, pray for me. And I prayed for him. We became brothers in the spirit. It happened. He wanted to meet my whole family. Coach Royal came to my 60th birthday party and signed footballs for about 20 preachers. They had a birthday party. I honored them because coach was at my house. Coach Phillips let me be a part of the end of his life. God has a way. And I know it sounds real funky that I'm talking about three great coaches in America, but here's the point. God's got people in your life. God's got people in your future that if you'll infect yourself with faith, if you'll infect yourself with faith and you'll start practicing and believing that God can do anything, get ready. God's going to set you up. He will set you up. And when God sets you up, He will do it right. Come on, praise Him all over the house. 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 And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.